Amen. I am not preaching this morning, just to let y'all know, it is a blessing. I get to be like one of you today, and I am going to be able to uh, just sit and enjoy the sermon and allow it to speak to me as well. Uh, Jim Hansen has been a part of the church for a while, and he has served in ministry in a couple other capacities, uh, but we are privileged to have him as a part of our church now, and as a part of that, I've asked him to share with us this morning. So Jim, Great. if you would. Thank you. He just wanted to come up here so you knew how much taller he was yeah. than me. So. I don't believe in time machines, but uh, stretch machines, maybe, uh, I don't know. Um, so, uh, Mike, I do appreciate the opportunity. Um, I appreciate that you give me this, but then also Mike has agreed to walk with me in following up with this sermon to help coach me and guide me as I learn to be a better minister and pastor. And so his example of a discipling and a multiplying ministry that he's setting in me, I hope that you appreciate that as well um, and that you can carry that out as well in your life. Um, this past year, um, if you go back, um, it was in March um, if any of you have teenagers or you are connected to the youth ministry here at all, uh, you might remember that there was a retreat that took place at Table Rock Camp. Does anyone remember that? I, I see a few youth in here. Might have remembered that retreat. So at that retreat, I had the opportunity, the honor to partner with Lee to help pull that retreat off. Um, it just so happened, though, that uh, like two days before the retreat was to take place, uh, my wife had our third child. And so uh, I ended up dumping all of those responsibilities on Lee, and he did a fantastic job, and he ran with it and did, did awesome. Um, but when I look back over the past year, I think about that time. I think that's got to be one of the high points of my year. I think about um, Abby being born. I think about um, her coming home. And in the midst of that, trying to help out to do ministry, uh, probably doing too much, but my wife was incredibly gracious and, and let me continue to do ministry, even in the midst of, of having a newborn. And when I think about that, I think that is one of the highlights of this past year for me. Soon after that, though, um, just about a month later, um, our family faced a pretty tough trial. Um, my wife's mother um, had cancer that returned. She faced some side effects of the cancer treatment that left her without uh, any movement or feeling below her waist. Um, and that's where she is now. Um, she still is struggling with this. And as a family, we, had, we, we go through this and address this. And I think about the highs of this past year. And then I also think about those lows or those struggles, those things that um, weren't as positive over the past year. Um, and as I think about those high points and those low points, I have no doubt that each of you in this room have faced circumstances in this past year that were high points and low points as well. I have no doubt that you look back on the year and you think about the joys and these things that happened and you were just praising God and worshiping God for these, these things that took place. But at the same time, I know that there are people in this room that have gone through trials this past year. And as great as those highs are, the lows are so difficult. And you can think back in your year about those, those moments also. Um, it's easy to think about only the physical life that we live in, those high points and those low points that we've faced. Um, but at this time of the year, I try to reflect also on my spiritual life. 
I don't know if you've ever done that at the end of the year to think back how the year has gone, specifically about where you are with God, where your faith is, where your soul is. In the church, we we use a phrase or a term, uh, are you growing in your faith? Are you growing with God? Uh, Maybe you you reflect back on your year and think, where have I grown? If I compare myself to where I was a year ago today, heading into the new year in 2017, starting 2018, how, how am I different now in my walk with God? Have I grown? Where is my soul? Is my faith stronger? Is it deeper? Do I feel like I have more things that I'm trusting God with? Or am I the same? Or maybe even gone the wrong direction? I think about reflecting on my life, and I know that this past year has been a trial spiritually in many ways. Um, dealing with some, some relationships that there were breakdowns that were very spiritual in nature. And those were difficult to face. But at the same time, I know that there's been some incredible high points for me spiritually this year. I've had the opportunity to take a class on evangelism. I'm in seminary right now, and this course just rocked my world. It challenged me with my view of the church and the people around the church and how do we influence people and impact people and what is evangelism supposed to look like. And so even though there were these low points spiritually, I know that there were these high points spiritually in my life as well this past year. So what about you? How has your year been? Do you really take inventory, and and are you really willing to be honest with yourself? Where am I in my walk with God compared to a year ago today? I think that's a reflection that each of us should make at this time of the year. I think that's a reflection that each of us um, should uh, take the time to think through. Um, In John chapter 10, Jesus Christ speaks to us. He teaches us um, what our lives should look like. Now, I think he is really teaching us about our spiritual lives. There could be some overlap into our physical lives, the other areas of life as well. The reality is this. When your spiritual life is healthy, it has a massive impact on the rest of your life. But the same is true that if in your spiritual life you're not healthy, that the rest of your life suffers. And so in, this, uh, in these verses in John chapter 10, Jesus gives us this idea of what our lives are to look like. He says in chapter 10, starting in verse 7, Therefore Jesus said again, I tell the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. And then in verse 10, he says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And if you look at the context of this passage, what he's really saying is there are people that have come before me that have tried to teach you things about who God is. There are people that have come before me that have tried to teach you what your spiritual life should look like. He was probably referring to Pharisees. He was probably referring to religious leaders that had taken some of God's word out of context. But he's saying those people that had come before me were thieves. They weren't weren't true. And what did they come to do? They really came to steal and to kill and destroy. But then he says, I have come. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. 
Now, isn't that a picture of what we want for us? To have life and to have it to its full. There, there's not many things in life that we don't want to be full. Uh, I think about um, we want a full glass of water, not a half glass of water. We want to go out to our vehicle and have a full tank of gas when we get out there, not a half tank or an empty tank. Uh, we go out and we uh, go visit family at Christmas, and we want Nana's cookie jar. We want that to be full, not half full. There's things in life that we just say we want fullness. We want things to be full. There's very few times in life that we go, no, I just want part of it. I just want half. You don't go to the grocery store and say, you know what? I'm just going to buy half of the gallon of milk today. I'm going to dump the other half out on the way out the door. I would dare say that there's not a person in this room that is going to write a letter to their friendly IRS agent and say, I only want half the return this year. I just want you to keep the rest and put it to good use. That's just not going to happen. We want the full. We want all of it. And so when we, we hear Jesus Christ say that I've come so that you may have life in its full. And I think that's, that's what I want. But what does this life look like? What does this full spiritual life look like? You know, we can make a, a mistake of thinking that a full life has something to do with our circumstances or that it has something to do with our possessions or our wealth. But if that's what we believe, we're believing a lie. A full life has nothing to do with those. Because here's the reality. You're never going to have enough to satisfy you if it's all about money. You're always going to think that the grass is greener somewhere else. It's just the reality that if your circumstances seem great right now, life has taught every one of us that things will change. And so if we look at those things as what we base a full life on, it won't last. We'll seek after those things, and we will never truly find them. So what is a full life? Now, if we jump back into the Old Testament to the book of Exodus, I think we can see a situation where there's a guy that has a fairly full life. In Exodus chapter 33, uh, we see an encounter that a guy by the name of Moses has with God. Now, here's what's happening in this, in this portion of Scripture in Exodus, we, most of us would know that this is the story of God's people as they have been led out of slavery in Egypt, and they are being led to what is called the promised land. God has said, I'm going to take you to this place. This is the place where you're, going to, you're just going to be fruitful. You're going to thrive. This is the place that I've set aside for you, for my nation, my people. And when you get there, this is going to be kind of the dream place for you. This is, this is everything you want. But between Egypt and getting to that promised land, there's this journey that takes place. And the journey ends up being longer than it's supposed to because of the actions of the people. But in this journey, uh, we see this interaction with Moses. Now, now, get this about Moses. You talk about a guy that's had a full life, even full spiritually. Right? We know that he's, he was raised in Egypt by the wealthiest. He had the best education, the best of everything. But if you jump forward in his life, he finds himself alone in the desert, uh, in a desert season of his life. Most people believe it was about 40 years. And at the end of this 40 years, he comes around the bend of this hill or this mountain, around the edge of it, and he sees in front of him a burning bush. 
And most of us know the story that this is a, this bush that's on fire, but the fire doesn't actually consume the bush. And so he's intrigued by this. And so he walks up to the bush. And from this, he hears the voice of God. Imagine that. You talk about a spiritually full life. You've seen this miraculous burning bush. Now you've heard the audible voice of God speaking to you. Not only that, but God's voice calls him out and says, I've got a plan for your life, and I know where I'm going to take you. You just have to follow along. Right? Then, full spiritual life, God says, here's a staff, a stick, something to walk with, and if you throw it on the ground, it'll become a serpent. And then if you pick it up again, it'll become a stick again. He's showing them these incredible miracles that will take place. If you fast forward in the story, he gets to Egypt and he confronts Pharaoh and says, God says, let his people go. You better let his people go. Pharaoh doesn't. The story progresses. Moses gets to experience seeing God's power through the, the plagues that take place. Eventually, God's people are let go and Moses leads them through God's help out into the desert and they come to the sea. And as they're at the edge of the sea, they see God show up again. And Moses gets to see God's incredible power as he parts the water so they can walk on dry land. And they get to the other side. The, the waves come back together. They're saved from the Egyptian army. And they move into this wilderness area, this large group of people that Moses is leading. And in his spiritual life, what does he get to see? He gets to see God provide manna from heaven, food that just appears and they have all that they want each day, God's provision. He, he takes this same staff that turned into a serpent and he, he hits a rock and water gushes out of a rock. God's provision. You talk about a guy that spiritually has experienced God. You would think if there's anyone that would understand a full spiritual life, this is the guy. This is the man. He's experienced who God really is. If you go farther forward, you even see that he's the one that is given the Ten Commandments to bring to the people. You see the way that God has blessed him and used him to lead. But then we find ourselves in Exodus chapter 3. The guy who, I would say, has one of the fullest spiritual lives in all of Scripture. And in, in chapter 33, starting in verse 12, we, we read this. Moses said to the Lord, you've been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. So he's still wanting someone else. Through all of these experiences, he's still wanting someone else to go with him to help him lead. He says, you have said, I know you by name and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. The man who spiritually has seen God in ways that I could only dream about what does he ask of God? He says, be with me. All I, all I need, all I desire is your presence in my life. 
you can show me miracles. You can give me a staff that will make water come out of a rock. I want your presence in my life. I think about what does Jesus Christ mean when he says you can have a full life. And I think Moses was onto something there. Moses got it that it's about the presence of God in our lives. It's not about what we've done or what we've seen. It's about God being with us. That's all that Moses desired. And so I ask myself, how can I have a more full life? I need more of God. I need more of his presence in me. You know, here's the crazy thing. At first glance, this doesn't make sense because we know the story of Christ. We know we've just celebrated in this season the birth of Christ. And we know that later in his ministry, at the end of his ministry, Christ is crucified on the cross. And then he's raised from the dead. And we know that he ascends into heaven. So if I need more presence from God, for some reason this doesn't connect with me because Jesus didn't stay here to be with me. He decided to go. And that's where I think we can understand the truth of how we can have God's presence in our life today and be filled with his presence. See, in John chapter 14, if you have your, uh, your scripture, you can turn over to John chapter 14. In verse 15, Christ is, is speaking. And he says, if you love me, you will obey what I command. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. So this is the answer. Christ knew it all along. He knew he was going away. He knew, he knew what the end of his life on earth would look like. He knew that he was going to go back to be with the Father in heaven. But he also knew there's someone else that I'm going to ask the Father to send. And this, this person is the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost. And so in our lives, we have this opportunity to have the Holy Spirit in us. Now, you might think, well, what's the big deal about this? What, is, what does this Holy Spirit do? I would, I'd rather have Christ here with me. Now, I wish that we could go into everything that entails about the Holy Spirit. I'll be honest with you, Mike and I were talking about this beforehand. He said, how are you going to talk about the Holy Spirit on one Sunday? And I was like, I, I have no idea. We, we could take a class that could last a year's worth of Sundays to just learn about the power and the influence and the role that the Holy Spirit plays in our lives as Christians. And I'll be honest with you, I wish that we could all do that. I wish that we could study that and learn that and see what the Holy Spirit is really trying to accomplish in us and through us. Because I think that if we could really understand that, the way that our Christian lives played out would look far different. Because we would truly understand the presence of God in our lives every day. Now, we can't go into everything about the Holy Spirit today, but I do want to look at a few passages um, the first one takes us all the way back to the very beginning in Genesis chapter 2. In Genesis chapter 2, um, this is where God is creating everything that we know and see. And in Genesis chapter 2, in verse 7, he says this. 
The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. And it says he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. So he breathes and the man becomes alive. He has life. Now, if you really go back and look at the original language this is written in, there's a, this, there's a word here where it says that he, he has the breath of life. And there's a couple different possible translations for this particular word. Breath is a common translation for it, but there's a, a second translation that could be used, and that's the word spirit. The spirit of life is what God breathed into Adam, and it gave him life. What brings life? The Spirit. The Holy Spirit is what brings life into us. And if you jump forward to Romans chapter 8. In Romans chapter 8 verse 1. If you have your scripture you can turn there. I know that some people put bookmarks when they preach. I choose not to, because if you have a copy of Scripture, I want you to have time to turn to it just like I do. So if you, please, if you have a copy of Scripture, bring it, use it. This this book has power. These words have power. Whether it's a paper copy or a digital copy, bring your own, follow along, read along. So as I turn, I hope that you turn along with me. But in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, Paul writes and he says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life sets me free from the law of sin and death. I want you to get that, though. It's easy to skip past what this is really saying here. He says, through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life. Paul says it's the spirit who brings you life. We read in Genesis that God's spirit was breathed into Adam to give him life. And I read these passages And I think, is there a connection here between the life that we see from the Spirit and the full life that Jesus promises? I I think that there is. You want the full life that Christ offers. He says in what we read in John chapter 10, that he's come that we may have life to its fullest. What brings life? It's the Spirit. But here's what happens. We forget. We forget about that. We tend to live our lives and we don't depend on God's very presence in us. What if Moses, instead of asking God for his presence, had said, God, if you want me to move forward and lead the people, why don't you send me an army? Why don't you send me some riches? And I'd really like the title of king so I'm really their leader. What if that's what he had said? What if in our own lives we say, I just need a better job or I need to make a little bit more money. Maybe if if my health was better, 
Or maybe if my family could just go on that vacation and reconnect together, then life will start to be full again. See, we place all of these things where the spirit should be and we rely upon all these things because we forget. We forget what really brings us life. You know, this, this happens in the church as well. Uh, you know, Pastor Mike is an excellent pastor. Um, he challenges us with God's word. He leads the staff here with incredible integrity. Uh, I see that he has compassion, that he loves others well. He serves not just in the role of pastor, but he serves us. Yet if he did all of those things without the presence of God, nothing would get accomplished. Walls could be painted, sermons could be preached, but nothing would be accomplished because it's dependent on the presence of God. I uh, recently got a gift from my parents. I, I actually wore them today. I don't normally wear work boots when I am preaching, but I wore my work boots today. My parents got me a new pair of boots. Um, these are a unique pair of boots. They are called NYX. NYX is a company that's in upstate Washington, um, and they make handmade custom boots. Like there's a guy that is hand-stitching boots together in order to make custom boots that fit your foot. Uh, so my parents got me the, this pair of boots as a gift, and I, I got to watch a video. There's some on YouTube about how they actually make these boots. And one of the things that really struck me was they have these molds, and they take these molds or these forms, and they form the leather around them. Now, we're talking about the, the men and women that are probably the most skilled craftsmen in the world at making boots. And they still take this form in order to make it fit just right around the person's foot. In fact, they tailor the form to fit the person's foot that has ordered the boot. I've got one ankle that I hurt really bad when I was in college, and it's never, the swelling has never gone down. So they had to build that form for that particular shoe to be larger than the other one so that the boots fit me perfectly. Now, these are the most skilled craftsmen in the world at their trade. Imagine if they said, you know, I know what I'm doing. I don't need the form. That's one of the greatest resources I could use, but I think because of my ability, my skill, my knowledge, I can do without that resource. I'm just going to take this leather, slap a sole on it, sew it together, and I'm going to be able to make this size 15 boot for this, this random tall guy in South Carolina. Is that boot going to fit me? No. That boot's not going to look anything like it's supposed to look because they've, they've left out using one of their greatest resources. And that's what we have a tendency to do. We leave out the greatest resources that we have in the Holy Spirit. We think, I'm good enough. I can figure it out. I've, I can read scripture on my own. I can pray on my own. I can go to church. I've done these things, but we've left the Holy Spirit out. And so what has happened? We've left out the greatest resource we have access to in our faith. But if we tap into that resource, then our lives begin to be shaped and begin to be full. So here's the question. This is the question that I would have. Maybe some of you have it here is, okay, so I understand the Holy Spirit in some way equates to having a full life. I need the presence of the Holy Spirit in my life, and then that means I can have a full life when it comes to my faith. 
How? How? How do I do that? What? Give me a step. Give me an action. How do I go about having more presence of the Holy Spirit in my life? And I think that if we could answer that question, wow, what would our lives look like? Let me start with a few things. I think that this is a two-part answer. The first thing is this. You already have him. You already have the Holy Spirit in your life. If you are a follower of Christ, Scripture tells us that the Holy Spirit is a part of you. If you go over to Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, it says this, And you also were included in Christ when you, so you were included in Christ, you were now a follower of Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having believed you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are Lord's possessions. What this passage is saying is that when you have, if you accept Christ in your life, if you choose to follow after Christ, the step that takes place is the Holy Spirit is put in your life as this seal that guarantees that salvation for you, that guarantees your life with Christ for eternity. Uh, so when it talks about seal, the idea that it's representing is there were times that if you go back, um, there were times where kings would have letters sent to other people and they would want to seal those letters with a stamp so that they would, when the letter was delivered, the people would know, okay, no one has tampered with this, no one has read this. And so the type of seal that they would use was usually a ring. And they would melt wax over the edge of the envelope or the letter and press their ring into it. So then there would be this seal that was the symbol on the ring now embedded in the wax that is holding the letter shut. So it's the seal guaranteeing the letter. And that's the idea that he says here in this passage when it says that the Holy Spirit is a seal for us. It's the guarantee for us that God has placed on our lives as followers of Christ that we are his. And so every believer here, every person that says, yes, I'm a follower of Christ, you already have the Holy Spirit. He, he's in you. He lives in you. Scripture tells us that he dwells inside of you, that your body is his temple. That's the place where the Holy Spirit chooses to live is inside each and every one of us. Okay, so if we already have the Spirit, what about having some sort of greater influence of the Spirit in my life? I've heard it described like this. Imagine if all of us were to go to your favorite beach. Maybe you like Myrtle Beach. Maybe you like uh, Cancun. Maybe you like, I, I actually like the Gulf Coast of Alabama, Gulf Shores area. There's a lot less people there. Go to your favorite beach. We're all standing on the shore right at the edge of the water, and we all start to walk slowly into the water. As we start to walk, the water will get farther up. It'll get to our knees, eventually to our waists, eventually to our shoulders. Some of us, it'll get over our head quicker than others. Uh, but eventually, as we continue to walk, every single one of us will now be completely underwater. Now, in this illustration, imagine you can breathe underwater. So we're all standing underwater in the ocean at the beach, looking at each other, long line of us, the whole church, is any one of us less soaked with water than the person beside you? No. 
We're all soaked. We're all completely wet. Now, in this, in this illustration, imagine I say, okay, my head's under. I'm going to stop. And the rest of you keep walking. As you keep walking, you'll get farther away and you'll get deeper and deeper and deeper. Now, you walk 200 yards out, and now you look up, and there's 10 feet of water over your head. You're far deeper in the ocean than I am. Now, if you look back at me, am I any less wet than you are? Are we still the same amount of soaked? Yeah, we are. Even though we're the same amount of soaked, though, you're in a deeper, in a, in a, a different place than I am. There's now pressure. There's now power of the water that is resting on you that I don't feel that I don't sense. And I think in our spiritual lives, the same can happen. If we want more presence of God, we all have the, the Holy Spirit. We're all soaked. But we can take steps to work ourselves farther along and to be deeper and to feel more of that presence pressing down upon us. So how do we do that? In Luke chapter 11, Jesus Christ is teaching us about the Holy Spirit. So if we start in verse 19, it says this. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds and the one who knocks the door will be opened. Which of your fathers, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then thought you were evil, know how to, you who thought you were evil, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? We read this passage, and Jesus is talking about, um, the passage is, is talking about the idea of prayer. But if you really look at what he's challenging us to pray for, it's to pray for the Holy Spirit. Now, it says that God is one that will give uh, gifts to us, and that gift is the Holy Spirit. So that's the first thing you need to understand about the Holy Spirit in your life, is it's a gift. There's nothing that you can do to earn it, to gain favor with God, to get it. Uh, when my parents decided to gift me a pair of boots, it was a gift. I didn't have to pay for it. They paid for it. They were willing to write the check, send it to the company. Boots are paid for. I just had to receive the gift. But there were also a few other steps that I had to do in order to get these boots. Uh, see, in order for them to get the shape of my foot just right, there was a long process that I had to go through. The first thing is I had to trace my feet on a piece of paper and send that to them. Along with that tracing, I had to measure on my foot multiple spots moving all the way up my foot, all the way up my heel, and all the way up my calf. So they took all those measurements and the tracing, and they took those and they built a pair of boots. They mailed me that pair of boots, and that was not my pair of boots. That was their trial pair. They had me try on this pair of boots, and as I wore them on my feet, 
they, they had me call them and say, okay, where does it hurt? Where does it not feel right? Is there a spot where it's tight? Does it need to be loose? And then they had me take pictures of the boots on my feet and send to them. And from all of that information, they were then able to say, we're going to make the pair of boots for you. So as I mailed their trial pair back, they made my pair and sent them to me. It was a free gift. My parents paid for it. There was still something I had to do, though. I had to go through that process. I had to make sure that I went through everything that they needed in order for the boots to fit me, to be the right thing for me. So, yeah, the Holy Spirit is a gift for your life. There's nothing you can do to earn. But there are some things that we're supposed to do. And Jesus Christ is very clear about those things in this passage. And here's the great thing is they're not hidden and they're not hard. They might be difficult to practice on a regular basis, but they're not hard to understand. The first thing is this. He says that you are to ask. Uh, this, can, this, this can't be more straightforward than to just ask God. Ask God for the Holy Spirit to be more in your life. Uh, have you done that? Think about this past year. How many times have you asked for God to send you more of his spirit, for his presence to be greater in you? Now, I'll tell you, that's not been a strength of mine. And this passage ends with a promise that if you do ask, he will give. The next idea beyond asking, he says, is that we have to seek. We have to seek for the Holy Spirit. What does seeking look like? I think that we can seek out the Holy Spirit in a few different ways. There's probably a, a number of ways. I know that in times of solitude that we can have experiences where we encounter God and seek out the Holy Spirit. I know that in times of prayer, we can seek him out. Uh, there are in times of worship, but this, this has to be the primary way. God's word, the scriptures. This is where we seek out who God is, what the Holy Spirit can do for us. This is where we seek out what God wants us to look like in response to the full life that he can give us. And so we have to seek out who the Holy Spirit is and who God is in the scriptures. And we have to do that on our own. You can't rely upon Pastor Mike to, to give you this. You have to seek it out. I remember... Um, when I was, uh, when my daughter was a little bit younger, our oldest daughter, uh, she's 10 years old. Um, I remember when she was like four or five years old, we used to go on trips uh, to visit my family in Knoxville. So it's about a four-hour drive. She would be in her car seat in the back seat. I'd be driving in the front seat. And she would love to play this game called hide-and-seek. Now, playing it in the house, I get. She goes, she hides, I try to find her. She loved to play hide-and-seek while we were traveling in the car. I didn't get it. She's buckled into her, 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 her seat there. She can't go anywhere. So she would take this pink blanket that she had. She would pull it up over her head, like most kids have probably done, and say, okay, Daddy, count. And so I'm up here driving along thinking, okay, I'll count. And like, one, two, three, ten. I, I get to, okay, ready or not, here I come. I mean, she, she hadn't moved. She's right there. Uh, you're not under the front seat. I don't see you on the hood. And the whole time, she's, she's still just under her little pink blanket. And eventually, I reach back and grab the blanket. I found you. And that's when the laughter and the giggles and the joy happens because she's been found. In a small way, I think that's how God is. 
He doesn't take joy in being hidden. The joy comes in being found. And so when we seek after him, he wants to be found. He wants us to to, to see who he is. He wants us to see the Holy Spirit. He wants us to have more of him. Then the third thing is to knock. So we ask, we seek, and we knock. And now when I first read this, I thought, why do we need to knock? We're already asking. We're already seeking. He knows we're here. Normally you knock when someone doesn't know you're there. You want to say, hey, I've arrived. I'm here. Open the door. But he already knows. But then I began to read and I realized these three ideas, this ask, this seek, and this knock, they're all combined together in the same verse. It's not that in some times we're supposed to ask and in other times we're supposed to seek and then when we get around to it, we're supposed to knock. No, these are three things that are supposed to be done in unison. We're supposed to be asking and as we're asking, we're seeking and as we're seeking, we're knocking. Now, if you were to go and knock on someone's door, is that how you would do it? Would you knock twice? Three times? Uh, imagine that you were in a setting where you had just arrived at your friend's house and you terribly had to use the restroom. Like, I just made it. They better let me in quick. Are you going to be like, and just wait? You're going to be there pounding, open up the door, let me in. And I think that's the idea that he presents here. We're to ask, we're to seek, and the whole time, God, let me, let me have more. I'm knocking, I want more. And the rest of the sermon. <laughs> In that process of asking and seeking and knocking, I think that's when God says, I'll give you more of my presence. You can have more in your life. So my question for you is, are you willing to do that? Are you willing to ask him? Are you willing to seek him and do it over and over and over so that you can have more and more and more of him? That's what it means to have a full life in Christ to be full of the Holy Spirit to the point that you overflow. And that's the life that I want. And I hope that's the life that you want. Now, here's the beautiful thing. When I think about our church and I think about the ministries that we have here, a great youth ministry and children's ministry, we have Sunday school classes and small groups, and, and the list goes on. And if we want to see God's presence, the Holy Spirit in those ministries, how does he get there? He gets there in the people that work and volunteer and attend those ministries. You want to see our church thrive. You want to see our church have an impact. You want to see our church do things that are only explainable by the supernatural. It starts with how full is your life? And if your life is full and my life is full and the person next to you's life is full, that is when our church is full of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray right now that the Holy Spirit will enter into us and fill us. Father, we come before you and we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that we find. 
We thank you that you can teach us about what it means to have a full life and what it, that looks like. We ask right now that your Holy Spirit would fill us. We ask, we, we commit to seek and we will knock and we will continue to ask and that asking starts now. God, I pray that, that our church, that we would see you do amazing things by filling us, giving us those full lives. God, I pray that as we go from this place, that we will go filled with your spirit and take the spirit to wherever that we travel to next. God, we love you. Pray this in your name. Amen. If you appreciate uh, Jim sharing with us, would you just express your appreciation? I do want to remind you that next Sunday, the service times will be different as we will be beginning our new schedule, which begins at 9.15 for this service, and then Sunday school will begin at 10.30. So just make plans for it. One of the thoughts that comes to my mind is if you're attending one service, you could actually come and serve in another one, and we would love to have more people serve. It is a blessing to see the church being the church, and I appreciate you being a part of our worship today. If you would, go with the blessing of God, but come back with the joy of Christ knowing that he is using you. Jim, would you mind going out in front before I release them so you can shake hands with everybody? Because they move quick. So thank you all for being with us today. Go in peace.